It's not really a good, there's not a huge punchline. Actually, there was a fire at the fair and they needed water and so they came to me. And in the middle of the night, it's just kind of one of those weird sounds that you kind of like, that could be a bear. As soon as we start leaving that campsite, he's like, I, I literally can't walk. So I like whipped into camp with yeah. the most good story. I was working that one of the husky games. And the boy comes from like up the stairs and he's like, Pretty crazy, right? I think so. I don't know. Yeah. Okay, I think I've read that. We were like, oh, well, the next time we come, we're going to come with Emma. So we're at the wrong airport. Like, what do you do when you're at the wrong airport? You know when it takes the picture at the top? There's this person's hand right in front of my face. And I was getting nicer, and I was like, what are you doing? You're freaking out. Thank you, One of the kind of amazing things that I feel like I've experienced that I think is like a spiritual thing or God thing is like the bridge got shut down because there was like this massive oil tanker that like caught on fire. We were praying and, and all of a sudden like the clouds like part. Like I mean this is like weird. It was like the clouds part and we could see base camp. Well, good morning and welcome to Cornwall Church. Whether you're watching in line, Boca Raton, Skagit, or here in Bellingham, we are glad that we are together again and we are continuing in this series, our summer series called Stories Worth Telling. And the thing that every one of these stories will have in common is that God shows up and does something that's immeasurably more. He does something that's great. He does something that's like, what? Yes! That's what he does. And so that's what we're celebrating and that's why they're stories worth telling. Now, before I get to share the story that I'm sharing with you this morning, I want to pause and pray because while it's summertime, what I know is that some of you came in here, you're burdened. Some of you came in and you're like, I'm thinking of all the chores I have to do at my house, and you're just internally, you're busy. And yet what I believe is that God wants to speak a truth to you today, but to do that, we need to be focused. So would you join in praying with me right now? God, I love you so much. And I thank you that you are not a far off, distant God, but you are right here with us. God, I thank you for the freedom that we have in this country to gather, to worship you, and God, to do our best to hear a word from you. And so, Lord, I ask for those in this room who internally are just moving really, really quickly, God, that you would allow them to take a deep breath and experience peace. You'd be preparing them to hear what it is you have uniquely for them this morning. I thank you that you are so good. I love you very much, and I pray these things in your name. Amen. About a week ago, I was in Portland, Oregon, with a group of middle school students and high school students, and we were there to serve the greater community of Portland. And on Thursday afternoon, uh, the team that I was serving with, we were at Union Gospel Mission, and there were some homeless men and women that were about to come in and, and get a little bit of food and some Kool-Aid or some water and be able just to sit and rest in a safe place. And so the doors open, and our team is distributed. We're spread out. We're dishing out food and, and water and all of that. And these people just keep coming and coming and coming. And it's a little crazy at first, really busy at first. And then things kind of like slow down. And in that moment, I realized that a couple of the incredible young ladies who are on our team were bored because they were like, we're no longer scooping food. So I went back and I said, hey, I met this lady out there. She's amazing. I don't know her that well. I just met her, but she seems pretty cool. You should go talk to her. And they were like, okay. And I was like, not convinced. <laughs> so then they talk amongst themselves 
And they decided to go out and talk to this woman. I believe she was probably in her 60s. She's homeless. She shared her story with these three middle school young women and asked them to pray. And they did. And they told me about it. And I don't know what this woman's response was. But in those moments when I hear those stories, I'm just like, yes. Right? Like, that is good. It is so good. Why? Because I believe that the living God was at work, not only in the woman who was homeless, who is homeless at this point, but in the three girls that went and talked to her and listened to her and prayed for her. That night, some of our high school students went into a, a ministry that's under the bridge, and a bunch of different nonprofit organizations gather together and serve the homeless community as well, and it's meeting tangible needs. And um, Jeff, who was just up here, and two high schoolers said, yeah, we would, we'll sign up, we'll wash feet. And some of you are like, ew. <laughs> they decided to wash feet. And so they kneel in front of these homeless men and women, and they wash these people's feet. In doing so, they're communicating incredible value. They pray over them, and they just wash their feet. And again, I don't know what these homeless men and women are thinking. I don't know what they're feeling. I know how incredibly amazed those high school students were when they were done. And again, in those moments, I say, man, God showed up, and yes. Have you been there? Have you been a part of a situation? Have you been a part of a relationship where you know there's an incredible need and God moves in a powerful way to meet the practical, tangible, emotional, relational needs of somebody that you care about? Maybe that's you. Maybe that's a family member. Maybe that's somebody in the community and you are just taken back in an absolute awe because you're like, yeah, you, can, you don't have words, but you have that incredible feeling in you and you're just like, that is so good. I hope you've been there. What I've found in the stories that I just shared, in most stories that I read in Scripture, and in the story that we're going to read together this morning, is that there are three things in common in each of these stories. And the first is that people demonstrate faith. They demonstrate faith, they demonstrate humility, and they demonstrate obedience. They demonstrate faith, they demonstrate humility, and they demonstrate obedience. Each one of these things is present in each of these interactions. They present themselves differently, but they are all present. Now, before we get into the story this morning, um, I want to share, I want to elaborate a little bit on each of these things just so we have a working understanding of what they are. So the first is faith. Hebrews 11, verses 1 and 3 say this. Faith, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. To be clear, this is not just what Scott Moon hopes for. This is not just about what Scott thinks is best. This is not just about what you think is best. We don't hope just for those things, but we hope that God will bring to fulfillment what we read in Scripture, the promises that he made, the truths that we read about, that we hope for those things. We wait patiently for God to move and act and do the incredible as he promises in the pages of scripture and by faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so what is seen is not made out of what was visible in essence what faith is is it's the acknowledgement that I don't know it all but I know enough to believe I don't know it all but I know enough to believe okay the second thing is humility Nehemiah 9.6, you, this is one of my favorite verses, by the way, you alone are the Lord. You made the heavens, even the highest heavens and all their starry hosts, the earth and all that is in it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to everything and the multitudes of heaven worship you. It's just like, whoo, 
God, you're amazing. You did it all and you spoke. That's it. That's all he needed. Words. Boom. And everything comes into being. And it all has reason. And life on earth is sustained by all these incredibly small things that allow life to exist here in incredibly beautiful and complicated ways. He spoke. So what this is saying, God is amazing. He's huge. He's, um, he's sovereign. So God is great. Part of that is that God created you and I in his image. That's a beautiful thing. With that, we can't get too cocky because Hebrews, or excuse me, Romans 12.3 reminds us, that for by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed, God has given to each of you. So what this is saying is the acknowledgement that I am great. Why? Because God made you great. He made you in his image. You are great. You are a beautiful creation or very masculine, manly creation, depending um, but that God is greatest. And may we never, ever get confused that not only is God greater than us, but he is greatest of, above every and all things that have ever or will ever be. And so humility is the recognition that this is my desire, this is my will, but God, because his ways and his thoughts are so much higher than mine, he knows what's best. And so may we then think of ourselves with, um, with humble terms so that then we can surrender ourselves to what God says. And then uh, obedience. In uh, John 14, 21, whomever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. In James 2, 17, in the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Now to be clear, we are not saved by our works. We could never do enough Write things in order to earn God's favor, to, in order to earn salvation. That's not ever a possibility. But what this also alludes to is that when we come into faith, when we come into knowledge that Jesus Christ loved us so much that he gave it all up so that we could have a right relationship with God the Father, that then we live differently. We acknowledge and we believe that God gave us the word so that we know how to live and we do our very best to live according to the word because that leads us to live according to the way he has created us to live, which naturally then leads to the most meaningful, satisfying, purpose-filled life. And so we live obediently. And what I love is that Jesus says, and I too will love them and show myself to them. When we live in obedience, God shows himself to us. So he invites us to demonstrate in our lives faith, humility, and obedience. And just to be absolutely crystal clear, the word demonstrate is active, right? It's a verb. It does not mean that God created us to sit on the bleachers and watch this really cool thing that he's doing on the quarter on the field. Instead, he is saying, may you get off the bleachers and get into the game. May you live these things out actively because I want to do amazing things in you and through you in this world which I think is a pretty cool invitation. So our story this morning is out of 2 Kings chapter 5. If you have a tablet or just one of those old-fashioned paper Bibles, um, go ahead and turn. If you don't have either, we'll have the verses on the screens behind me. Um, but 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. We meet our first two main characters. Now Naaman was the commander of the army of the king of Aram. 
He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Pause. So we meet this guy named Naaman. He's the second most powerful man in, in Aram, which is to the north of Israel, and God had given him favor, and he brought great success to Aram. But we also learn that he has leprosy, a degenerative disease that only gets worse over time, that, it, that attacks the nerves in your fingers, your extremities, and eventually you lose feeling, and, and it cripples your lifestyle. And so what we know is the king wants his healing because he is enjoying the success that this um, commander is bringing to their country. And what we know is that Naaman certainly, who lives with the beginning um, reality of leprosy and the effects that leprosy have, he wants healing as well. So that's our first character. We meet our second now. Now bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. So a group of people, this isn't an all-out war, but a group of his troops go and they attack um, Israel, and, uh, a village in Israel, a town in Israel, and they basically take what they want. And while it doesn't specify everything that they take, it specifies that they take a young girl from Israel. Now I want you just for a second to pause and put yourself in this young girl's perspective, in her shoes. She's at home. It's a beautiful day, probably incredibly hot because it's the Middle East. She's playing with her friends or working in the yard, helping her family with chores, when all of a sudden they hear a ruckus that they, that's not usual. And as it gets louder and louder, what they know is that there are a bunch of horses coming towards them, but they don't know what's about to happen. And then soon enough, they see foreign men on horses with swords and spears and, and shields. And then there's that moment of panic, like, what do I do, what do I do? And maybe she runs and tries to escape, and maybe she's just like frozen, she doesn't know what to do. Maybe her dad's trying to protect her, we don't know. But all the same, these raiders come into this town, they take what they want. Anybody who's resisting certainly was either beaten or killed. And we know that at least one thing that they took was this young girl. Now the reason we need to think about this, the reason we need to put ourselves in her shoes is because what she does next, in my opinion, is absolutely unthinkable. Again, put yourself in her shoes. If you had the chance, what would you say? What would be your response to the man being Naaman who's ultimately responsible for your capture? Her response is this. She said to her mistress, if only my master Naaman would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Huh? Right? Instead of wanting to get even, instead of noticing that Naaman has leprosy and saying, hope you have fun with that, I have like an ace in the, in the hole, I'm not sharing it with you, because you stole me from my home. You forced me to be a slave. I am not going to share this bit of information that could bring healing. That seems like a fairly human and reasonable response. Her response is to demonstrate faith, humility, and obedience. Faith, humility, and obedience. She, despite her incredibly painful reality, says, I still believe that God is sovereign. I still believe that God is good. I still believe that he is with me right now. 
And God prompts her. He reminds her that there is a man who can heal her, her, uh, her master. And because of that, that nudge, she acts and says, I'm going to share that information. Isn't that beautiful? Like, how might I handle that differently? Man, she inspires me, this young Jewish girl. This young Jewish girl. So she demonstrates faith, humility, and obedience. As our story continues in verse 4. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means, go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter, I am sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. Um, What we have to keep in mind, Aram, this country, is the oppressor. Israel is the oppressed. And what's interesting is that the oppressor is now going to the oppressed for healing. But they don't want to appear weak, so they send an insane amount of gold and silver that equates to today in modern day terms would be around $2.4 million, which also communicates, one, we're powerful, we have wealth, but two, I'm under the impression that I need to at least exchange something for healing, if not buy healing. That's what it's alluding to here. Have you ever been in a position, maybe some of you are here today, where you're looking to things. Naaman looked to other things to bring healing. There, the god in Aram was a guy named Rimen, a god named Rimen. You have to believe that they had prayed to Rimen and asked Rimen to bring healing to Naaman, but clearly to no avail. And maybe you're here this morning and you've looked to a lot of people, a lot of different things to bring that deep sense of satisfaction and peace that maybe you haven't known for a long time or maybe you've never known. And what I want to simply say as we pause right now is that we believe that our God is the God who brings ultimate satisfaction. And he longs for you to know that he loves you free of charge. There's nothing you can do to earn it. He loves you as you are. But when you step into a relationship with him, is it easy? No. But it brings a deep sense of satisfaction, meaning, and purpose to your life. So our hope is if you're visiting, that you would come back and you would continue to explore. But let's continue. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robe. You ever done that? Like, <clears throat> just so mad right now. Just <clears throat> he rips his robe. He tore his robe, which, which indicates distress and anxiety, and said, am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of this leprosy? How, or see how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. Again, this is a king who has been oppressed. He's been defeated. And he reads this letter, and he says, I'm sending you, this letter that says, I'm sending Naaman to you. You need to heal him. And he's like, I can't. I'm, a, I'm simply a man. Like, I cannot do that. And then he also reads into this last part, and if you don't, I'm gonna come and bring total destruction to Israel. That's what he's reading into it. So he is in full-fledged panic mode. Let me just pause and ask you this. Have you ever put the weight of the world on your shoulders? Have you ever assumed responsibility for something that far exceeds your ability? 
I want to just say this. That's not God's creation. That's not God's design for you. That's not what he's asking you to do. I have great confidence in that. This king, King Joram, who was not a godly man, took it all on himself. And what we're about to read indicates that God says, no, no, no. That's not a burden for you to carry. So the story continues. And we meet our third main character named Elisha who was a prophet. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will will be cleansed. So we see that Naaman, or excuse me, um, Elisha demonstrates faith, humility, and obedience as well. He hears about the king, King Joram, who is greatly distressed because of this request that the king of Aram has put on him. And so he's like, he hears about it and he says, I have incredible faith in God. God is capable. Send him to me. Freak not. Freak not. Send him to me. And so the king is like, go, I don't want you anymore. Like, go. Like, he quickly points him to Elisha, and he's like, whoo, I'm free and clear. I'm no longer responsible. And so he sends him to Elisha, and Elisha has this incredible faith in God. And then what he does next is implied, but he does not go out to meet this man who is incredibly powerful and certainly would have expected the best and brightest to meet him. He expected the prophet to come out and meet him, and yet, what does Elisha do? He sends his messenger with instructions about what he needs to do to be healed. We're going to read in a minute that that really doesn't go over too well with Naaman. The reason I believe that that Elisha's action demonstrates humility and obedience is because this is the second most powerful man in a country. He is the commander of an army, and he's got a bunch of friends with him. I'm going to go out on a limb and say, with that much money and with that important of a person, they are armed. Which means if you make them too upset, off with your head. And yet something in Elisha says, nope, I am not going to go out and meet him. And he follows that nudging. He follows that prompting. He humbles himself and maybe any worry that he has, any fear that he has of dying, and he obeys. And he sends out his messenger. And then we read that Naaman gets upset. But Naaman went away angry. And said, I thought I would surely come out, uh, uh, I thought that he would surely come out to meet me and stand and call on the name of the Lord as God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Time out. It's like he's thought about it a little bit, don't you think? Like he's envisioned, like, okay, this is how it's going to go. I'm going to show up. He's going to come out. He's going to be like, all right, God, do something awesome. Then he's going to go Mr. Miyagi on it. And that's a Karate Kid reference in case you weren't tracking. Put his hand over the, the spot, and boom, healed. God had a different plan. God instead said, no, no, no. You need to go to the Jordan, and you need to wash seven times. And as we learn, he's not happy about that. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. He saw the instruction to wash in the Jordan River, kind of like in modern day terms, it'd be like, hey, we have a great retention pond out there. Go wash in that retention pond. And the person's like, but Lake Whatcom's not far away. 
Big Lake and Skagit, that's even not that far away. I'd rather wash there. And he's like, no, 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 the retention pond. And he is in a rage. Why is he in a rage? He is a prideful man. He's not used to being treated this way. And he is prideful, and he is like, no, 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 this is below me. I don't know if you've ever wrestled with pride. I do. The reality of pride is that it undermines faith, it undermines humility, and it undermines obedience. Pride nearly gets in the way of Naaman's healing. Pride inhibits God, what God wants to do in you and through you. And fortunately, we serve an incredible God who's like, I'm not going to let that stop me. I'm going to work on you. I am going to bring humility to you so that you can experience what I had planned for you. But pride says, it's about me. I know what's best, and I'm going to do what I want. And fortunately for Naaman, he has some other people with him and they reason with him and bring him back to reason. This is what they say. Naaman's servants went with him and said, my father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more than when he tells you to wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored and became like that of a younger boy. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except Israel. So please accept a gift from your servant. The prophet answered, As surely as the Lord lives, whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. And even though Naaman urged him, he refused. What we see here is that Naaman experiences the grace of God. He came with a massive amount of gold and silver in order to buy his healing. And God says, no, 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 I don't want it. You were healed because of my grace. And that's it. But what we see is that uh, Naaman demonstrates humility, obedience, and faith. And some of you are like, did you get that right? I already filled that blank in. Boom! tricked you. Um, Humility. He has to be humbled first. He's humbled by his friends who respectfully, his servants, who respectfully say, he's telling you how to be healed. He's telling you how to be healed. Why don't you just do what he says? And so then he does what he says. He follows the instructions. He obeys. And after humbling himself, after obeying, he, experience, he experiences the living God, and he comes to faith. So what we see is Naaman not only is healed physically, not only is his leprosy gone, but he knows the living God, the one true God. We see in this story that faith, humility, and obedience times three led to Naaman's healing. I think this is a great reminder to us. Sometimes we think we are lone rangers and we're doing our own thing and we're doing it for God and God is saying, nope, sometimes it takes committee. I started this with a servant girl who is culturally irrelevant and insignificant and if you are here today and you're like, I don't have influence, I don't have gifts, I don't have, let me just tell you this respectfully, you're wrong. 
The God of the universe loves you and he created you and he put gifts and talents in you and you have influence. This servant girl was ripped from her home, was in a foreign land, and she is the one responsible to get this ball rolling that led to a miracle where Naaman was healed and came to know the one true God. It led to that yes moment. It takes three. So it's from the servant girl to Elisha and then to Naaman. Absolutely incredible. As this story continues, I love this because Naaman asks something incredibly weird. Verse 17. If you will not receive my gifts, said Naaman, please let me, your servant, be given as much earth as a pair of mules can carry, for your servant will never again make burnt offerings and sacrifices to any other God but the Lord. So he's been healed. He met the living God, and he's like, can I have some dirt? <laughs> what? Can I have some dirt? Like, a lot of dirt. I have two mules here they can carry. Can I have some dirt? That's a weird question, right? But this question, this odd question, can I have some dirt, indicates transformation. It indicates transformation. Why? Because in this day, it's believed that they saw God as a geographical God, that the God of Israel was the God of Israel, but not the earth. And what he knew, what Naaman knew, is I am going home to Aram. Aram worships Rimen. I'm in a foreign country. They worship a foreign God, but as I've just pledged, I will not worship any other God besides the one true God, who is certainly the God over all the earth. So can I have some dirt? <laughs> so, yep, he's given dirt, so he takes dirt. And you, he, the reason is he goes home, he puts the dirt on the ground, and he sets up an altar so that he can worship the one true God from home. Isn't that awesome? The commitment to worship God is incredible. I'm going to look weird. I'm bringing dirt from Israel home. I'm going to pour dirt in my home because I want to worship the one true God. And I just believe that this is what I need to do to continue to do that from this country. Man, may we, when we see, seeing, this is a blank, seeing should lead us to worship. When we see God do something in our life, meets the physical, tangible, emotional, spiritual needs of somebody else, and you're like, that is beyond what we are capable of. May that lead to worship. May that well up in us a sense of awe, where we're just like, what? I just got to witness that? That is amazing. Yes, please. Yes, that is incredible, and God, I'm giving you the glory. Forget chance, I'm giving you the glory. You were at work, you did something, you were amazing, and I am in awe of you. May we worship when we see God move. What we see in this story is that faith, humility, and obedience led to God's redemptive kingdom coming to this earth, to one man in specific, but let's just pause. Can you imagine what it's like for the servant girl? When Naaman comes home, and he's like, you led me to that guy, and look. Look, and by the way, I love our, your God. He's my God now, too. Can you imagine the excitement for her? That is incredible. Not only is one man blessed because of faith, humility, and obedience, and God's redemptive kingdom, but everyone is. Everyone is. And the story of the servant girl, Elisha and Naaman, foreshadows one of the greatest stories of all time. And that's of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ perfectly demonstrated faith, humility, and obedience so that all could be healed. 
so that all who would say, Jesus, I believe in you as my Lord and Savior, that all could be healed. And what we look at as we read the life of Jesus, if you've read it in the Gospels, in the Bible, you see that there is this man who is the Son of God in human form, and he walks the earth, and some days are incredibly great, and some days are incredibly difficult. At the end of his life, things get really, really difficult, and all his closest friends and followers, they abandon him, and he is beaten, and he's crucified, he's murdered. And yet what we see again and again is that Jesus remained full of faith, that God knows what's best. He remained humble. He remained um, in humility, in a position of humility to God's plan for him. And then that led to him living according as well. So he lived obediently. That is a very, very good thing for every one of us in this room. A very, very good thing. Because Jesus did that, the result for us is forgiveness instead of shame. Grace instead of condemnation. Freedom instead of bondage. Hope instead of despair. Life instead of death. That is an incredible gift that he gave us. And the reality is this, that Jesus wants to bring healing to you and through you. Jesus wants to bring healing to you and through you. As I mentioned in the beginning, God does not call us as followers of Christ to sit in the bleachers and just watch him do cool stuff. Instead, he says, get out of the bleachers, get onto the field, and live for me to the best of your ability. Do I expect perfection? Nope, but I expect you to try. Get out there, and as you're out there, as you're living for me, as you're demonstrating faith, humility, and obedience, I'm going to do the unthinkable in you and through you, and you're going to see me move in powerful ways. Jesus never says, I died so that the church may gather on Sundays and then not live their faith the rest of the life or the rest of their week. He says, no, 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 gather on Sundays, worship together, learn together, grow together, be supportive of one another. And then when you leave, live beautifully different so that others might come to know that same hope. God wants his redemptive kingdom to come into this world in incredibly powerful and beautiful ways, but if we don't act Not as much is going to happen. God can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. I truly believe that. And yet, for whatever reason, he has chosen us as his plan A to share his great news for all the people. So my question for us, what's your next step? What's your next step? Because when we step into this, when we demonstrate faith, humility, and obedience, life becomes more meaningful Life becomes more satisfying. The things that matter are amazingly powerful. And the things that don't, we don't focus on anymore, which we kind of have a tendency, myself included, to get obsessed with things that really don't matter. So what's your next step? Perhaps it's um, God's been leading you to have a difficult conversation. Maybe that's with somebody who has hurt you. And you are very reluctant because you have no idea how that's going to go and it's totally outside of your control. Maybe for you that means that you step into that conversation. Maybe it's you have been the person who has hurt and you are well aware of that and you want to see healing in that relationship but you're also not sure how it's going to go and if they reject my apology, what does that mean? But you long to see that relationship restored. 
Maybe that's mean you, you just have to surrender yourself and say, God, your ways are so great, and I feel like you're leading me to this, so I'm going to humble my fears. I'm going to humble myself, and I'm going to obediently follow your prompting, and may you do something awesome. Please, for the love of everything that is good in this world, do something awesome. Maybe it's a neighbor, and you're like, yep, I don't have anything in common with that person. Nothing. And you're like, in all, all honesty, they kind of scare me a little bit. <laughs> like, kind of intimidated. But you continue to feel that, I should say hi. One, two, three, go. One, two, three, hi. <laughs> the word hi is pretty easy to say. It's the concern of what may follow or not follow afterwards. That's the scary part. But all the same, Make a resolution. Say, God, I'm going to step out. I feel like you're calling me to do this incredibly simple thing, but I'm allowing fear to inhibit what you're calling me to. So one, two, three, hi. Please do something awesome. Okay? Maybe it's um, serving. You've been thinking about serving for a long, long time. But you're like, that's going to make me uncomfortable. That's going to stretch me. I don't know what's on the other side of that. I don't know what that looks like. And maybe God's just saying, believe in me enough Humble yourself enough to take that step and just see. Just see. Maybe it's tithing. I do not bring this up to manipulate or twist your arm at all. But maybe God continues to bring back to you, I want to tithe, I want to tithe, I want to tithe, but man, money is so tight. Like, I just don't have much. And really, would it make that big of a difference? Instead of justifying, instead of letting fear rule the day, maybe it's, okay, God, I believe that you are so good. I believe that you're calling me to this. Do I know beyond the shadow of a doubt? No, but I'm going to act in obedience, and would you show up? Would you do something awesome? Maybe it's a conversation of faith, that you have a friend, a family member, a coworker, a classmate, a teacher, a professor, and you have no idea where they are spiritually, and yet you felt the prompting of the Holy Spirit to say, go and talk. Would you believe that God is just big enough to handle that conversation? Just wise enough to give you the words to share and the, the ears to hear? And would you step up? Maybe that's your next step. Maybe your next step is none of those things, but maybe God's brought it to you as I was sharing these other ideas. Whatever it is, would you take it? It requires courage. It requires strength. It requires a dependence on God, absolutely. But man, when you experience being smack dab in the middle of that, yes, this is good, this is so, so good, moment, you will never regret it, and you will want it to happen all the time. Let me give you one example. Before I do that, some of you might freak out if I don't fill in this last blank. Um, <laughs> want to see God move in our day? Demonstrate faith, humility, and obedience. I believe when we demonstrate faith, humility, and obedience, it is an incredible conduit to, for God to move through us to do absolutely breathtaking things. Let me give you an example. I want to share a story. It's about myself and my wife, more my wife than me. Um, and we don't share this to give ourselves kudos at all. There's the disclaimer. Um, a couple months ago, I was teaching at the table, which is our young adult ministry, and I was teaching out of the book of James, and we were talking about money, and, and largely I was asking this question. When it comes to your money, what is your posture? Is it this? Like, God, I work my booty off for this. This is mine. Don't even think about it. Don't even look at it. Go away, God. Not now, not ever. Or is it this? Where you go, Lord, what would you have me do with this? 
And my encouragement that evening was to pick an amount, whether 50 cents or a dollar or more, and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? Lead me to do something that would bring your kingdom to this earth, that would bless somebody else, that would make a difference. So I came up with my amount that I felt God led me to. You're going to find out he didn't. But um, <laughs> So I had my amount, and I was like approaching the week. I was like, okay, God, what, what would you have me do? How, open my eyes. Show me what you want me to do. Here it is, here it is, do something cool, do something cool. And then we, my wife and I were invited to, to join with some other couples in providing um, a greater need for a couple um, that was in, a married couple that was an incredibly, in an incredibly difficult situation and they had a specific thing that they were in need of, not necessarily asking for, but in need of. And so Natalie was praying about that, that's my wife, and she felt that God gave her an amount and let me just say, my amount was here. Hers was like, boom! And I was like, can we talk about that? Like, <laughs> and so we did. We talked about it. We prayed about it. Do we know beyond the shadow of a doubt that God led to this as opposed to this? No, but I'm quite, I'm, I have enough faith to believe that my wife was seeking the will of God so wholeheartedly that he gave her a figure that was there, if not very close to there. Do, do we know beyond the shadow of a doubt? No, but we said, Lord, this is gonna take sacrifice. We're gonna make it happen because we think, we don't know, we think that you're leading us to it. So in faith, we humbled ourselves in, and then we gave this amount, we acted obediently. Now, again, I don't share that to say, like, look at me and how great I am. That's not the point. The point is, is that the people together in this group, we were able to provide this thing for this married couple, and they were beyond ecstatic. They were like, you have no idea what this means to us. Absolutely no idea. You guys have been so amazing, so faithful. This, makes, this, this communicates so much value to us. I can't tell you with my words, they are absolutely inept in this situation. The amount of joy and satisfaction that we felt in that moment, having been faithful, having humbled ourselves, and having acted in obedience, and then God moved and did something, that is the best. Life was so sweet in that moment. As I said, my words suck right now. Um, but anyway, it was so incredibly great that I was like, I want to always say yes to Jesus so that he can help more people, so that he can reveal himself to more people, so that they can experience joy and hope in his presence, even if it's through some simple act that I'm doing. It's not about me. I'm great, but he's greatest. And to him and him alone be the glory always. Why? Because he brings everything that we need into our life when we need it. I just believe that. So my question for us is, what's your next step? What would it look like if every one of us who believes in Jesus Christ as our God took a step, not over the moon, but a step this week? How might God use those yeses to create more and more like yes moments where we get to be a part of his redemptive plan for our lives, for our family, for our neighbors, our coworkers, our community, our world. That gets me excited. Would you guys stand with me as we close in prayer? Father God, you are amazing. You are so, so good.
I mean, you spoke and you created everything. And yet, Lord, despite how great and, and grand and sovereign you are, you still love us so intimately, so closely, so personally. You know the realities of our lives. You know the, the inadequacy, uh, the, the feelings of inadequ inadequacy that we wrestle with. You know our insecurities. You know our fears. You know our hurts and our burdens. And God, in the midst of all of that, would you show us what our next step is into demonstrating faith, humility, and obedience? And God, I pray that you would lead us to that, that you would give us the courage that we need when we know what that step is, when we're right up against that step. Give us the courage to take that step, to act obediently, to put our trust in you, and to know that you see all and you are at work, that you will bring your redemptive kingdom into our life and to the lives of those that we care about, the lives that you love so, so much. Show us our next step. Give us the courage we need to take it. And God, may you and you alone get the glory. But I pray that a byproduct of our faith, humility, and obedience would be a greater sense of awe and that we would worship you with everything that we have because we are absolutely, holistically blown away by how great you are. I love you, Lord. And I pray these things in the name of Jesus. And everyone said together, amen. amen.